The internet is an amazing place, has lots of different information. One of the most fascinating things to me about the internet is you can find a how-to video about anything, like anything in the whole wide world. Like you have a very specific make and model of refrigerator or washer or dryer and it's making some noise, you Google it and you're gonna find somebody out there that has made a specific YouTube video about your exact situation and you can find an answer to it. And so there's great knowledge that exists on the internet. There's also some challenges that that brings with it. I remember at one point I had something wrong with my big toe. I thought I'd sprained it like something. And so I go on to WebMD. And so I start looking at WebMD. An hour and a half later, I decided that I was dying of a rare and incomparable disease. I had a headache, I was kind of itchy, my knee hurt now. What started as the toe had just kind of transpired into all of me being broken. If you talk to any medical professionals, they face this challenge often, that people will come in to the office and they've already self-diagnosed because they say, hey doc, I went to WebMD, let me tell you what I've got. And now they're having to unwind some of that research. You see, people now are facing what medical students have gone through for a number of years. They have a term for it. It's called medical school syndrome. It's a condition frequently reported in medical students who perceive themselves to be experiencing the symptoms of a disease that they are studying. So in your first year or two of medical school, you're reading all this information about the sicknesses and these diseases. And what happens is your mind is really powerful. And so you start cramming that stuff in your mind and unintentionally you start to feel like maybe some of this is happening to me. We all experience that in some way or another with other things too. Think about the news. The news trends towards negative. There's no such thing as a positive newscast. They always are just reminding you of how much death and murder and stealing and robbery is happening right around the corner from where you live right now at this moment. And so it's easy, that stuff gets in your mind and it starts to just inundate your thoughts and your life. So what do we do with that challenge? That our mind has a lot of power, what do we do to combat that? Last week we talked about perseverance. How do we have endurance, especially when we're going through challenging times in life? James says that we will face challenging times. And so when we face those challenging times, how do we endure? Especially when we realize that if we fill our mind and our thoughts with just the challenges, it can trend us towards really, really negative. If you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 16, we're gonna look in verses 22 through 26. And here's what's happening. Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. They're going out and proclaiming the gospel. They're, they're performing miracles, or rather the Holy Spirit through them is performing miracles. There's actually a couple other people that are with them. Uh, that's Mark and Luke, but they don't end up in jail with them, which is an interesting whole side story in and of itself as far as why we think that might happen. And so they have just performed a miracle. There's a servant girl that was doing some crazy stuff. They cast out a demon. The, the owners of that servant get really upset. They start riling the crowd up, turn the crowd against Paul and Silas, and this is what happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, 
He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. If you're someone who underlines, underline that right there, praying and singing hymns to God. So pause for a second and let's just mentally unpack that reality. That they're going about their business, they're proclaiming the gospel, they're doing what God has charged them to do. They're performing miracles. And then the crowd turns on them in an instant. And all of a sudden, they get derobed, they strip their clothes off of them, they beat them with rods. That means that they, they beat them almost to the point of death, and they throw them into prison. If anybody had a reason at this moment in life to complain, it's Paul and Silas. And yet, what is their response to that situation? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I would argue that that's not the natural human response to challenges. That when we go through challenging times, our natural go-to method is to whine and complain and to moan and to make sure everybody that we know knows about how much trouble that we are going through. Post it on social media, make some, some passive-aggressive comments to some people around us. We want everybody to feel bad for what we are going through. And it's not like you have to learn that. Like if you've got kids, that's just how kids are pre-wired. We've got an almost three-year-old named Evie. She's a grouch in the morning. Like she wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. We've even turned her bed around. Still doesn't change anything. Still wakes up really grouchy every morning. The first thing she wants to do every single morning is get a cup of chocolate milk. It's maybe bad parenting, I don't know, but that's, that's what we do because she's grouchy. And anything at that point in the, in the morning, that might make her happier, we're okay with. And so she's really grouchy and she wants chocolate milk. And then she's gotten to this point where she's very specific on who has to give her the cup of milk. Like if someone gives her the wrong, the wrong person gives her the cup of milk, she gets upset at it. Like, like a few months ago, older brother, being a really great older brother, realizes how cranky she is gets a cup of milk, chocolate milk specifically, brings it over to her. Here, Evie, here's your cup of chocolate milk. She takes it and she goes, not you, and chunks it across the room. Like she asked for chocolate milk. She got chocolate milk, but because it was the wrong person giving her that chocolate milk, she chunked it across the room. Now that's, it's not, it's not like we taught her that. that. That was not a conversation that we instilled into our daughter. It hadn't been modeled by anybody. That's just how we are wired. We're wired to gripe and complain. We're wired that we want things to go a certain way and when they don't go that way, we freak out about it. And yet we see Paul and Silas, life goes the opposite of what they would want it to go, everything that they had plans of what was gonna go transpire in the next 12, 24 hours, get thrown out the window, they get stripped naked, they get beat up, they get chunked into jail, and instead of doing the very human thing of whining and complaining and grumbling, they pray and they sing praises to God. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You gotta think it, at some point, they're probably like, what, these guys are in prison. Do they know where they are? Why are they singing praises? 
Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So this miracle happens, they could walk out and yet they don't. Story goes on to say that the jailer who's responsible for his prisoners, that if they get out, he could be executed. He pulls out his sword, he's gonna fall on his sword, he's gonna take his own life. And Paul and Silas say, wait, 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 hey, we didn't go anywhere. They had an exit and they stayed in place. They could have just waltzed out of the jail, but they chose not to. And then what transpires next is that they have an opportunity to share the gospel with the jailer. The jailer gives his life to the Lord and then he and his entire family become Christians and are baptized. That God uses this terrible circumstance, this terrible situation in order to bring about the salvation of this entire family. God uses bad for his glory and for his goodness. If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That this message that, that we as Christians are supposed to follow is that in all circumstances, no matter what the situation is in life, that in that moment we can find things to rejoice in, to give praise to God in, and be continually praying. But man, sometimes that is hard. When life goes the opposite direction you want it to be, when you're in the pit, when you're at the bottom, when you've got some bad news or in a bad circumstance, the natural reaction is not to praise, not to give thanks. The natural reaction is to do something different. You see, our minds are very powerful in how they respond to certain things. In the 80s, Pepsi came out with these commercials called the Pepsi Challenge. You might remember the Pepsi Challenge in the 80s. They ran for about 10 years, they went through the 90s. If you don't remember, or you weren't born yet, for those of you. This is a commercial from the Pepsi Challenge. You're about to take the Pepsi Challenge. You know, I have two bottles of cola back here, and you don't know which is which. No, I don't. We have never met before. That's correct. Wait, okay. Except at my sister's wedding. You know. <laughs> but besides that, we have never met. Okay, now I'm gonna pick this up and tell me which one you chose. Pepsi. <laughs> you know, in tests like these nationwide, more people prefer to taste the Pepsi over Coca-Cola. Pepsi's much better. It's delicious. Put it down nice and smooth. The taste is good. It's great. Take the Pepsi Challenge. Let your taste decide. Right, guys? Right! Commercials in the 80s were awesome. So, the Pepsi challenge was that they would have someone taste Pepsi, and then they would have someone take a sip of Coke, and they'd say, which one's better? And overwhelmingly, in the Pepsi commercials, people chose Pepsi. And so then Coca-Cola did their own commercials. It was their own taste challenge. And in the Coca-Cola commercials, people would taste Coke, and they would test Pepsi, and then overwhelmingly, guess which one they thought was better? Coke. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Two commercials do the exact same thing, having opposite results. And so some scientists step in and they say, okay, we're gonna study it. We're gonna do our own separate measures and see what happens when we have people do the taste test. And here's what they found. The Pepsi taste test was accurate. And the Coca-Cola taste test was accurate. But there's one huge difference between the two tests. Pepsi did a blind taste test. So they couldn't tell what they were tasting. They couldn't tell whether it was Coke or Pepsi. 
Whereas the Coca-Cola taste test, they knew that it was Pepsi and they knew that it was Coke. And so you, you think, well, there's just bias involved in it, but actually, the neurology of your brain is so powerful that here's what happens. It's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. People assumed that they liked Coca-Cola better than they liked Pepsi. And so because their brain thought that they liked Coke better, that as they were taking the sip, they would have dopamine released into their brain and that dopamine would cause them to enjoy the Coca-Cola that much better than the Pepsi. Both were accurate. The difference being one was blind and one was not. Think about how powerful that is in our brains. That our brain, thinking that you like one thing more than the other, causes dopamine to be released, which then, as a result of it, makes you, in fact, like the thing that you assume that you like better. So that's how our brain works. Your brain is trying to think ahead, trying to, to pre-guess some certain things, and it's very, very powerful. Now, it can also have a downside to it, that when we're obsessed with negative things, that it can turn our brain to where everything becomes negative all the time. Now, pause for a second, because what I don't want to see here is that it's just simply the power of positive thinking. That, that's a big movement out there. Think of the little engine that could, that if you just go into life and I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, then woo, you can do whatever you want to do. That's not the biblical perspective of Paul and Silas. The biblical perspective of Paul and Silas is this, is that they're recognizing that their brain, their heart, their whole mind is being transformed. Romans 12, 2, it talks about, do not be conformed to the power of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the renewing of their mind is they're living inside of a mindset, a perspective that is looking in every circumstance and praising God in spite of the negative. It's looking for the things to give God praise for. But that is hard. Why is it hard? Because deep down, the thing that fights against that, the things that's challenging constantly, our attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness, is our pride. Henry Ward Beecher said this. He was a theologian a uh, hundred years ago. He said, pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, but he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. We see this play out in life all the time. Think about the difference between entitlement and gratitude. So entitlement is this mentality that I deserve something. I deserve it. I should get it. Whereas gratitude is this idea of I'm just thankful for what I have. Uh, my, our oldest son, when he was growing up, uh, we lived next door to his cousin. So when he was three years old, his cousin, who was also a three-year-old boy, was right next door. And for a birthday, my son got a little John Deere push tractor. You know, one of those, those tractors that's a little tiny, and as you push it, the little balls pop, 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 pop. So he gets that toy and starts pushing it around right in kind of our courtyard where his, his cousin could see him every single day pushing it around. And naturally there becomes some tension that exists between the two of them. Why? Because they're three and they both want the shiny toy. And so my mom decides, being a good grandma, that she's going to solve the problem. What does she do? She buys the exact same lawnmower for the cousin. Problem solved, right? Now they've both got the same lawnmower. Surely there's not going to be any kind of conflict between the two. Of course not. 
That's not how it works because they're three. And so now what happens is they both have the lawnmower, but very quickly, even though they were the exact same, they determined that whatever lawnmower the other one had was the better lawnmower. And so they would get out there and they would fight over one lawnmower. And every time it was actually different. Like they didn't even have consistency in which lawnmower they were going for. But whoever got out there first would get to one lawnmower and then the other one would be devastated by the fact that they didn't get that lawnmower and they got stuck with the other lawnmower. That it didn't matter the circumstances. They inherently, because they're selfish, what made them unhappy was the other person has something that I want. I deserve that and I don't have it. And because I don't have what I feel like I deserve, I'm unhappy. We see that happen with kids all the time and we just assume that that doesn't happen with adults. But it does, doesn't it? Adults live with the same mindset. It looks different. We're better at hiding it. We don't throw fits on the ground most of the time. But deep down, that feeling is still there. Entitlement fosters bitterness. Because I don't have what I deserve and somebody else has something that I don't feel like they deserve, I should have that instead. And so as a result of that, I feel bitter. Bitter at life, bitter at my job, bitter at the people around me, whereas gratitude alleviates that bitterness. Gratitude is coming from the mindset that what I have is a gift. Now understand that the basic foundation of truth in Christianity is grace. It's recognizing that everything I have is not something that I deserve. That the picture of Christianity is that God is holy and I am not, and I am incapable of getting to God no matter what I do, no matter how hard I strive. And so it's this picture that I could not ever do it by myself. And so it's only by the grace of God that I'm able to get to Jesus. He makes me holy. Not me, but what he has done. And so when I have that mindset, what does it do? It helps me to release that bitterness because no longer am I walking around with the feeling that I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. But no, instead, my perspective on life, the lens by which I start to view everything is that everything I have in life is a gift from God. I didn't do anything to deserve it. God has blessed me with it. Now, pause for a second, because what I'm not saying is that there's zero human responsibility. That very clearly, biblically, throughout Scripture, there's an expectation on us to work hard and pursue the things that God has put out in front of us. Use the giftedness that we have for God and for His glory. So yes, there is an expectation to work hard, and not be lazy, but even in working hard, the mindset needs to be, I'm thankful that everything I have is from him. Entitlement destroys relationships, why? Because I can never be happy for somebody else's success, because deep down, I feel like I deserve the success that they have. Gratitude enhances relationships, because I can be genuinely excited about the success in your life. I'm not bitter at it. I'm not selfishly wishing that it was mine, but instead I can actually be happy that you have found success. Entitlement breeds selfishness. I focus more and more and more on me, whereas gratitude produces humility. Entitlement 
says, I will be happy when blank. That we think that this next thing is going to make me happy. It's interesting, the science behind happiness, they found that 90% of our happiness is not based on external factors. Only 10% of your happiness and my happiness has anything to do with the stuff I have, the money that I have, the health I have. We think that's everything, and yet when they study people, they find that it's a small piece, and it is a piece, but it's only 10%. 90% of the happiness that you and I have in life is not based off of our external things, but based off of the perspective by which we live life. I'll give you a great example. If you ask most people in the United States of America, are you rich? Most people, just think to yourself right now, ask yourself that question, are you rich? Most people would say, well, no, I'm not rich. And you know the reason that we don't think that we're rich? Is because we all know that Jeff Bezos is way richer than us. And so like, if I'm comparing myself, am I rich? No, I'm not rich. Bezos, he's rich. Musk, Elon's rich. Rich, me, I'm, I'm poor. But what I don't do is compare myself to the people that have less than me in the world. Half the world's population lives off less than $2 a day. I never compare myself to them. Our tendency is always to look up, always to look for more. And so because of that entitlement makes us think that I will be happy once I have Jeff Bezos' money. But gratitude on the other side says I'm happy right now with exactly what I have and it's finding ways to be thankful for that. Dr. Robert Emmons, PhD psychologist says, without gratitude, life can be lonely, depressing, and impoverished. Gratitude enriches human life. It elevates, energizes, inspires, and transforms. People are moved, opened, and humbled through expressions of gratitude. Sean Aker wrote the book called The Happiness Advantage. He talks about the science of happiness. He has a hilarious TED talk about it. And he talks about five small changes in life that have a huge long-term impact on who we are and how we live. All five of these things that you can point back and find scripture that supports it, but all five of these things, and, and you can see it's in the parentheses, has data, researched data that supports it. So his challenge is, okay, take 21 days and for five minutes a day, do these different things. Three gratitudes. Write three emails or three handwritten notes thinking of someone in your life that you are grateful for, that you can give them thanks for. Journaling, pausing and saying, okay, what are the things in my life that I have right now that I can be thankful for? There's a tendency to say, I don't have anything to be thankful for, but if you'll stop and start to really think about it and start small, what you'll find is there's more and more and more things in your life to be thankful for. Exercising that your body's a temple, taking care of it. Meditation, meditation is simply being, getting away from the hustle and bustle of life, get away from your cell phone and your TV and sit in silence. Scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Get away from the distractions and patiently wait on God. And then the last is random acts of kindness. By doing kind things, it helps to rewire our brain. If all you do is watch negative news all the time, you feel like the world is dying and, and just burning down. But when you start to rewire your brain and focus on the things that, that God has blessed you with, the things to be grateful for, start participating in random acts of kindness, here's what you find. Life isn't nearly as bad as sometimes people think it is. In Psalm 
118, verse 24. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You see, Paul and Silas, they lived lives that had this perspective that every day is a gift. It's not something I deserve. It's not something I have to have. That every day is a gift that God has given me. And even when circumstances end up not the way that I want them to, even when pain and challenges and struggles occur, I still can stand on that firm foundation of saying that God is still good. In spite of all this, if we want to talk about perseverance and really running the race with endurance, the greatest tool that we have at our disposal is gratitude. If you want to carry a burden for a long time, walk through a valley, and all you do is focus on how terrible it is and how painful it is and how awful it is, that that burden is going to get far too heavy to carry. But instead, if we have this perspective that recognizes the Christian mentality of life, and that is grace, every good thing I have in my life is a gift from God. And I start to focus in my life on the things that I can be thankful for, the things that I can be grateful for, even when that's hard. What starts to happen in my heart and in my mind is that as I'm transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes my perspective and life. And my happiness less and less is focused on those external things and more and more focused on those internal things and on my relationship with God. I remember a handful of years ago, I was having a breakfast with a good friend of mine and it was right on the heels, it was about nine months after our daughter had passed away. My wife and I had a four month old that had passed away. And so this is our first time to have breakfast together since then, kind of making the cycles where people are saying, hey, can we have breakfast? And they're just kind of the same conversations over and over again where they're checking in on you. And so we're having breakfast and we're talking and we kind of get past kind of that main conversation. Towards the very end of breakfast, we start talking about our, our sons. He's got three of them, I've got one. We're talking about athleticism. And this guy is like an insane athlete, way more athletic than me. He was a two-sport collegiate athlete, which doesn't even happen anymore, but he played college football and college baseball. He's an amazing athlete. And his older two boys are like super athletic, but his younger one is not as athletic. And I was just saying, yeah, my, my five-year-old, I don't think he's got the athleticism there. Like, I don't, it's just probably, you know, all right, you, you got the dreams, and then sometimes it falls short. And you're like, all right, we're, we're going to find something else, whatever it is, hopefully science or medicine. I don't know. Well, we'll just cheer you on. And so we're having this conversation, and he says, man, is, is that ever really hard for you? So I've got this, this one son, I'm, I'm just not even sure how to relate sometimes. Like, like what am I supposed to because I kind of had these hopes and dreams and thoughts and, and that's just not him. And so it's a real challenge to me. And without trying to be hyper-spiritual or without trying to Jesus juke him, I, I just say, you know, honestly, I used to have that mentality. So I used to have all these expectations on, man, what's gonna make me really happy is if my kids do this and do that and do this and do that. So then, and then we lost a child. And that just changes your perspective on everything. So when my five-year-old just had his birthday, I got to go up and I got to tuck him in, sleep at night, and sit there with him and read him some books. 
And then long after he fell asleep, I just held him. And so then it was on his birthday and I started to cry, not tears of sadness, but tears of joy, because my perspective in that moment was, thank you, God. That I don't do anything to deserve him, to deserve the opportunity to be his dad, to deserve the next breath that he takes, but thank you for the life that he has. And I said, once I have that perspective, it really makes things like how athletic he's gonna be, or even how smart he's gonna be, feel so much more trivial. My perspective had shifted. And when your perspective shifts, it changes everything.